Welcome to the Go Hack Yourself podcast with Carly Marie. This is a very special interview. Amanda Francis is someone who has been probably one of the biggest inspirations to me in my life, in my work. And uh, I was really honored when I asked her to come on the podcast and she said yes. When it comes to how wealthy women think, having access to this woman's brain is seriously, seriously valuable. And I was able to come through with some really kind of inquiring questions that really pulled apart some of her beliefs about beliefs. And she tells me in this interview that I should be a Barbara Walters on the side. So it was very, very fun. Tune in. I promise you, you'll fall in love with this exceptional woman, Amanda Francis. This is part of a series I'm interviewing four people, including Melanie and Katie and Kat. And Uh it's basically about how wealthy women think. So what a good group. These are all some of my favorite people. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yeah. And so this is is the third one and it's been so super cool. And so basically I'm pretty good at asking questions that it's one of my genius zones that just really get into the, the, like how someone thinks, because I think that's so much more important than how they do things. I think how totally. they think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's the idea. It informs, so every, it informs everything else. Yeah, how they actually like perceive and think and see informs all the actions. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of questions at you. Let's get into it. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Awesome. All right. So those who have been following along with my work a little while will need no introduction for this extraordinary woman, Amanda Francis, someone who's had a huge part of my, my journey, my growth, a true self-made multimillionaire, deeply spiritual, yeah. wildly successful, someone with an enormous heart and also really admirable, rock solid boundaries and really kind of solid way of doing life. And I'm so excited to dive into and pick your brains around that. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda Francis. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So a lot of people who have who listened to this podcast also listen to yours because it's the podcast that I send everybody to. Your meditations are <laughs> world-class and you just give so much value on your podcast. I love that. So it's called And She Rises the Fuck Up. Go and check it out, obviously, if you haven't already. But I think for those who haven't heard that first, I think it's the first session in, in which you really share your story, which is very cool. I think there's so much depth to you that someone who's new to your work might not be aware of that you actually started out in counseling, right? Could you tell us a little bit about that, about how you kind of started out? Yeah, counseling and ministry before that. So I have a master's in counseling. I'm a PhD dropout. I quit my PhD program that was in, oh God, what was it called? I was studying counselor education. I quit my counselor education PhD program, which is a counselor who trains counselors. When my coaching business was taking up enough time and room and energy, and I don't know, I felt enough money-making potential that I thought I had to choose which way to go. So I gave the, the PhD dream. But before that, I worked in a Dallas inner city school and in a family counseling center And before that, I was a nanny. And before that, I was in ministry. I have two Bible school degrees. 
to like kind of sum it all up, I often say that I feel like my whole life, I was just trying to figure out how to help people and make money. And I think if you look at my business today, I think it's quite apparent that every single thing I studied over a long, long time added up to this career where I get to do just that, you know? So there's definitely like the spirituality and the God element and the way I infuse the energetic and the spiritual and everything. And there's also the understanding of like human psychology and how humans are and what we process and how we're motivated and how we, and how our thoughts and, and feelings and past experiences and unhealed parts of us contribute to how we see the world and what we do. And it all kind of came together into this. The only part I never studied was business or marketing or branding. That's just God given. <laughs> Go figure. Who knew I'd be a natural at that? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yes, things you have a true natural genius around. So cool. Because, but I guess that's what happens is when you understand how people work, what motivates people, how they tick, then the marketing and branding stuff is really simple. Because I mean, it is, it's just, yeah, it's just talking in a compelling, persuasive way to those, to the hearts of those who need your work. I find it simple. Yeah, totally. So you, when I think about, you know, I look at you and I'm like, well, of course she was here to create this life. Like it's just so of course. And then I think of you starting off in counseling. So knowing you were here to help people and also make a lot of money. I think some people have trouble marrying that up. Like at what point did you go, I'm here to build enormous wealth was there kind of this like pivotal moment of like money is actually what I'm here to teach that's going to be how I'm going to help people no no I just always taught what I knew I always taught what I was learning what I was figuring out what I was understanding what I was helping counseling or coaching clients with I just taught what I knew and so when I dove into really being determined to you know, I don't even want to say like heal my money story because I wouldn't have known those words. But when I became determined to like figure out how money worked and what the whole thing was, like why some people had it, why some people didn't, why some people couldn't seem to keep it, why some people lost it, no matter how much they made, like what was all of that? Because it seemed to me like however money worked for a person, it continued to work for that person Mm -hmm. unless they opted in to kind of a whole new way of it. And I was kind of like perplexed by the whole thing because I came from a world where like just lower middle class, like nothing in how I identified myself with someone who could have money, but I knew I dele- deeply desired money and I believed it was possible for me. You know, like I, I just, I just always did. I always sensed that that was the direction I was going. And so even in like, like you said, these things supposedly aren't like mar- marriable, marriageable, Mm -hmm. what would be the word (laughs) able to be like fit together Mm -hmm. to me they were like I noticed the ministers with huge thriving churches I noticed the therapists with private practices and books who were speaking on stages Mm -hmm. I just believed that no matter how I did it I was going to do it big and it makes sense that I tried the areas I tried you know because coaching wasn't even like a fucking thing yet you know yeah so I couldn't have set my sights on that thing because I had never even heard the phrase. Yeah. Amazing. You spoke there about beliefs. And I think this is the part that I find so fascinating. One of the parts I find so fascinating about you is that you choose a belief and then, of course, it becomes your truth. I would love to pick your brains a little about your beliefs about beliefs. How I love love you. You're so good at this. (laughs) Thank you so much. 
I know. You should be Barbara Walters, like, on the side. Yeah, that's that's actually what my lover said to me recently. He's, he's like, I said, I, I would love to just do interviews all day. And he's like, okay, so be Barbara Walters. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, I mean, you like you could. You could yeah. totally add that to, like, a whole thing. leg of your business. How we, we need to brainstorm how to do that for sure. Okay, my beliefs about beliefs. So beliefs are just thoughts you keep thinking. I don't know who famously said that. That's not Amanda Francis, but mm-hmm. it's, it's my true to life experience. Beliefs are thoughts we keep thinking. So, but it's more than that. It's, it's the thoughts we think, but the thoughts we think are based on the world we come from, the world we live in, what's been told to us, how we saw things work for everyone around us. Like over time we form like, this is the way it is kind of things. Like this is the way it is for people like me people who come from where I come from or look like I look or made the shitty choices I've made or whatever. Like, this is how it works. We just form like a belief around it. And then, you know, through like our confirmation bias all day long, we see and notice what supports that. We, you know, we perpetuate it. We make our beliefs stronger. The world confirms it for us. And like, I don't know. And we believe that's just the way it is, not really realizing that it started and ended with us. It was what we picked up from our environment and our parents and our communities. You know, Mm -hmm. we picked it up, we bought into it, we solidified it inside of ourselves, and then we formed our world around it. And it seems like there's no way out. Like, I really felt like, I really felt like the world wasn't set up for me, like the world wasn't set up for people who came from a family like mine or a town like mine. Like I so deeply like believed that. And I believed that I could do something great. You know, it was just a smaller, smaller part of me who believed the greatness part. And I think over time, I very intentionally with a lot of like, like focused effort, focused on that belief that I could do great things, that I could be different, that I could break into another way of thinking and believing and living and earning and receiving money. Like I, and I kept it in my life. Like I nannied for rich families. I went to like private schools I couldn't afford to go to on student loans. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I kept wealth in front of me, always viewing it as a possibility for me, but not just a possibility where I was going even though I didn't know how to yet. So I had like both things going on inside of me. And I think over time, my belief about the who I could possibly be went out because I searched so hard for evidence that it could be true for me. You know, like one little day at a time, every little moment of manifesting or co-creating or receiving, I really added up and strengthened that belief. Does that make sense? Yes. I love that so much. It's like, I so strongly feel that your whole, all of life gets to be a vision board. It doesn't just have to be like a piece of cardboard on the wall. You put things, I love how you said that. I put wealth in front of me. I, yeah. you know, you sort of I mean, expand your awareness of what's possible. Yeah. And I drove around the rich neighborhoods of Dallas, Texas, because that's where I was going to grad school. And, you know, I'm working like a million jobs at this point. I'm a nanny and I'm a cocktail server. I'm in the counseling center and in the uh, inner city school and what other fucking jobs did I have? And I was working at <laughs> Buffalo exchange. Like I was doing like a, like a, a million things and somehow maintaining a yoga practice and like growing this like baby life coaching business blog on the side. Like, I don't even know, like looking back, it's all kind of insane, but I remember driving around the rich neighborhoods of Dallas and saying to myself, like, I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. I'm a multimillionaire. Like I didn't know fucking how I did not know fucking how, 
And I, even as I started to make money and, and do a little bit better and be able to support myself and, and quit the other jobs. And like, even in my six, first six, six figure year, it didn't make sense to say like, I'm a millionaire, I'm a multimillionaire because six figures and seven are like not exactly the same thing. <laughs> and I, I just kept my sights on it, but it was also reflected in like the neighborhoods I picked. Like, I don't know who this is for, but I don't, this story hasn't come through me maybe ever, but like, I remember picking an apartment and the rent was something like, I want to say $600 a month or something. It was this tiny, tiny, tiny apartment, but it was a mansion I don't want to call it a mansion, a big house that had been converted into eight little apartments, tiny, tiny apartments, mm-hmm. like 500 square feet tiny. And, but I picked, or maybe it was like 600 square feet. The point is it was tiny. The point is like I had Highland Park, Texas, like the wealthiest part of Dallas on two sides of me. Mm-hmm. Like it bordered, it was like, I just had to walk to the end of the street to get to Highland Park on one side. And I just had to walk two blocks up, two blocks up to get to Highland Park on the other side, like Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys was catty corner from me. So Mm -hmm. it was like, I was in a shittyish apartment. I did not treat it as shitty. I like painted the walls and got the vibes right and put in the crystals and made it beautiful and built an altar and like did my thing. But like, I could have chose a much bigger space in like a suburb or something. But my vibe was like, I wanted to be around the wealth in every possible way. So like, Even if I ordered the cheapest thing on the menu, I wanted to go to the nice restaurant. Like I just kept it around me always. I went to the Starbucks at Highland Park Village right next to the Chanel. I had never been into the Chanel in my life. And it took me like a couple of years to get the courage to walk into the Chanel. (laughs) But I sat at that Starbucks and wrote every blog, like every vlog. Like if you go back on my YouTube and you scroll back far enough, I'm sitting in this park in Highland Park that was not far from my house. And I'm sitting in the park, like filming with the mansions all around me. Like that was the vibe. It was always the vibe. You know, I knew where I was going. Oh, <sighs> love it so much. This is so great. One of the beliefs that I, I guess, have installed directly from your heart into mine is that my desires are divine guidance. Yeah. I would love to hear you riff on that. I think there's something so valuable in looking at the people who are doing what you want to be doing and hear them talk about what they believe to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I so just think one came straight yeah. from you. Like where did that come from for you? How do you, how are you so solid that your desires are divine guidance? It's just such a beautiful belief. Yeah. So the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart. And you can take that to mean like God will grant you the, the desires that are already on your heart, or you can take it to mean that like God gave you the desires of your heart. Mm. So I took it to mean God gave me the desires of my heart. I took it quite literally and I ran with it. Like I heard a minister say it one day and I was like, I can get behind that shit because what else (laughs) was there? Like, it was so confusing to me, like in my early twenties, like as a spiritual person, like really wanting to like do what was right and like serve God and like love people and like figure out what my career was going to be. Like, I couldn't figure out what the guidance was supposed to be. Like the way people talked about like conviction and condemnation and the way like God would like, it, it just felt like God was like, I don't know, like forcing people around, poking and prodding them to do shit they didn't want to do. And I couldn't get it to sit right with me for anything in the world. And I remember a long time ago, like I was maybe like 21-ish, I went to hear this woman speak because I was considering going to this Christian university before I ended up going where I went, which was ORU. But I went to this other university 
And the woman, and it was like, I don't know, the all these like 18 year olds and they're like asking questions about how to know whether God wanted them to go to that university or not, or whether they should like go be like missionaries or this or that. And the woman said, listen, if you're supposed to be a missionary to Africa, God will give you a burning desire for Africa. If you're supposed to live in a fucking tent, she didn't say fucking, if you're supposed to live in a tent, <laughs> you'll have a burning passion for that tent. Like, and, and I like, I don't know. I like took that, I took that and I ran with it because I needed something. I needed something to let me know how I could know it was right for me. Mm. And so I started playing it. Like, what if my, de- like playing with it? What if my desires are safe guidance? What if they just are? What are my desires? Like, what do I like? What am I good at? What like burns within me a bit? Like, I like to write. I like to teach and share and explain. I like to counsel and coach. And I didn't call it that at the time. I called it helping people. I just like to, I like to sit down with someone and like help them figure out their shit. I just did it all the time. Like I was that friend. I was that person. So I like started looking at like what I desired, what I liked, what mattered to me. And I kind of just started like carving my life in time, like out toward that, you know, and like trusting it now to the full blown (laughs) extreme that like, I make all my decisions based on my desires. It doesn't actually feel extreme. It's working very well. But like, I don't launch what I don't want to launch. I don't sell what I don't want to sell. I don't do what I don't want to do. I like all the things that like internet marketers are supposed to do. I don't do, I don't like them. So I don't do them. I don't run ads. I don't have funnels. Like I just let the desire be the thing. And in my business, the desire being the thing has looked like, like this beautiful social media presence and all this online content and emails that are written by me and never a copywriter. And it's just based on the shit I fucking like to do. It's (sighs) completely glorious and so, so permission giving. So I'm truly grateful for that. Thank you. Cause I have been seeing you do that for years now and it's just, it's enabled me to build what I've built. So yeah, usually grateful to you for that. And it's also really quickly. It's also Mm -hmm. a worth issue. Like I think the reason we believe that our desires can't be the thing is because like we believe we're not worthy of it being that easy or it happening that way for us. Like we have our worth all wrapped up in it can't be right unless I struggled for it, worked hard for it, like died over it and like hated myself Mm -hmm. in the process. Then it can be the right thing. But like, why? Like, why did we make that up? You know? Ugh, seriously. Um, Totally. (laughs) I have a mastermind called Formidable Women and I asked in there, I said, I'm interviewing the great Amanda Francis. What do you guys want to know? And I picked a couple of questions out. One of them was, what role does spending money play in making money? I think it can be a lot of things for a lot of people at different times. Mm -hmm. For me, the, like the, I have like a freeness around spending. Like there's this freedom to, to like, Oh, it just spending, I feel like is an area I've really gotten right. Like there was a time where I had to like spend everything I made because I was just so excited to have money. And it was like such a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And I spent more than I made at that time. And I always had some debt and whatever. And it was fine. It was the time I was in. And, and now I feel like years later, it's like this thing where like, I truly do spend whatever I want. I truly don't hold back around money. I I really don't analyze very much how much is going out. But I have this like extreme confidence that that amount of money will be a fraction of what I'm earning. Like no matter how much I spend, it's just going to be such a small part 
of what we're bringing in. And because of that, it allows me to put so much aside, so much in savings, you know, and that adds up and that becomes like a house or a property or a big investment. And it just feels like this flow thing where I'm not held back with money. I don't have a need to spend it all, but I don't have like a fear of spending too much or too little, but I do trust myself to go ahead and like get the things I want. And that feels too simple. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I think in the, I think it's particularly around the early days when there's so much people want to invest in, they want to work with different coaches, they want to buy courses, they want to do all these different things. And it feels like it's going to run yeah. out and it doesn't feel safe, you know? And it sounds like you just have this sense of safety around it. I do feel really safe with spending and I do feel really safe with money because like, listen, there's always going to be more things to buy. There's always, always going to be more things to buy. And the amount of money you're currently making that used to feel like a lot of money stops feeling like a lot of money after you normalize it. And then it's time to make more. And this goes over and on over and over. And I think that really scares people that like, they're getting to the point where they're spending too much and they need to earn more. And are they able to do it? Or like you said, will it all run out? And like, I think what has kind of happened is I've like, stabilized and created safety with each new income level as I went. So like that meant that I also created like normalcy with how much I spent at that level and how much was left over. And does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. so it may, of course, you don't know how to be a person with money when you first have money, you don't have any practice. It all feels crazy, Mm -hmm. but like you, you, you find your rhythm and your groove. Like I do believe just from a purely energetic perspective, that there's something about releasing and letting go of money and not like hoarding it and clinging to it and fretting around it that really like opens up the flow to being in a position to receive more. There is definitely something to that as every spiritual teacher, you know, or every spiritual teacher who teaches on money would say. Mm. But like the thing that I don't think is that you have to be spending in a certain kind of way to receive more. Like there's that whole kind of lie thing that if you're not investing at this certain amount, you can't charge that certain amount. And that's not really true. You know, Mm -hmm. like, like the whole lie that you have to invest in certain ways to receive in certain ways. I don't think that's the thing. It's more the principle that when you, when you feel good, letting go of it, knowing that there is more available for you, there's an ease with money. And when you release money feeling guilty and bad and like you're doing the wrong thing and like it's running out, there's a restriction energy. You know what I mean? And I think you can feel that in your body when you do it. And I personally have created a life where I try to feel good with money 100% of the time. I want every purchase, every spending, every time it goes out and comes in to feel good. You know, and when it doesn't, it means there's something I need to look at. So that'd be like my biggest thing there is like... Mm-hmm. You might, you might want to buy a million things and which of them feel good, which of them feel right, which of them feel right now. And then like, trust yourself with that. You know, there's always going to be more coaches. There's always going to be more things. What is your more Chanel bags, more all of it? Like, what is your aligned thing right now? You know? Yes. hundred percent. I love it. The other question that I picked out was around daily practices. I think everybody wants to know, what are your daily practices and having worked quite closely with you for a little while flow a lot more than people realize i think i don't have any i have zero <laughs> practices <laughs> it shocks people people have been asking me for a full decade now what my yeah. routine is and i don't i don't have one at all 
I do a different thing every day. I have no routine at all. Okay, here's the thing. I'm just going to, I don't know. Let's see what comes out of my mouth. The thing is, like, different things matter to me. And different things most feel most important on different days. Like, lots of days, I try to take a walk at some point. That feels good. Lots of days, I try to remember to eat, like, more than twice. Some mm-hmm. I usually succeed. Not always. Like, what else do I do every day? Every day, I touch base with someone on my team about something they're working on. But there's no meetings. We've never had a team. Well, that's not never. I tried team meetings, like, five years ago. I didn't like them. Mm -hmm. So I just text people to ask them what they're doing. Like, right now, uh, I'm about to launch Business Basics Boot Camp. So Deb pulled all the emails from last year's Business Basics Boot Camp. And Brenna is making an adjustment to that page. So, like, I touched base with those two people today. What else? I don't – I journal often, but I don't journal every day. I journal when I need to journal. Mm -hmm. I don't have a coach. I don't read books. It really freaks people out, the things I don't do. (laughs) Because you're breaking the rules that the rules (laughs) – those things are required, right? Like, Yeah, I don't know. Nothing's required. Like, nothing's required. We made it all up. We told – we just made it up. So the thing is, though, to be really, really honest, like this morning I was thinking, I really desire a bit more structure. Like, what would it be like to take the walk first thing every day and that be the routine? And like, I don't know, it's a nice idea for me, but I might wake up tomorrow not wanting to do that. (laughs) So then I won't. I don't know. I just don't have a routine at all. At all, at all, at all. Here's what I'll say. Here's here's one of the like main, main, main consistencies. This happens every single day. I am a, I am continually the observer of my thoughts and beliefs and feelings about things, about many things, about love things, about family things, about business things. I notice what's going on in my mind and what the, what thoughts those and the emotions, the emotions and the thoughts going on with me and kind of the vibrations and frequencies those those are creating. I'm always aware of that. I know when I'm not in a good place with money. Mm-hmm. I know when I'm like neglecting something or a limiting belief has started to stick or something that happened is starting to make me feel less capable when it comes to money. Like I'm very aware of it. So I know when I have work to do, right? So I know when I have work to do in any given area. Mm-hmm. And then I consider it my job when I have the time and have when I have the space to carve out a moment to like look at the thought, to disprove it, to ask for help saying things differently. I could be guided to a meditation or, you know, I don't know, I just said I never read and I don't. But yesterday morning, I found myself listening to just a chunk of an audiobook, And it was like just the right little thing at the right time for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it could be something you see somewhere on the Internet or something that stands out to you or whatever. But I just believe that if I ask for help where I'm stuck, I have to be guided to the right thing. And then I will shift it. And then I will be a clearer uh, channel, more of like a clean, energetic match for the things I want. Because I, I like disproved and removed the thing that was telling me I can't have it and now I'm back on my way so that like the fact that I think that's my only job kind of gives a lot of freedom (laughs) I don't really have to do anything else yeah like that's kind of my only job and then my like job job because I own a bit an online education company like my job job is to do the same thing with what we're launching and selling next with the price point is what the date range is and what feels aligned there. So like I was deciding all that today. And normally before I decide all that, I spend a few days, sometimes a week, sometimes longer thinking or not thinking, kind of filling into what that might be. 
So my job job is to sell things on the internet that I believe help people and change lives. And then like my interpersonal job is to do the observing shifting thing I just said. And that's really it. So if those are your only two jobs, I don't understand what the routine would even be for. Like, what would it do for me? <laughs> well, that was going to be my final question for you, actually, is that you are so good at resting. Like, you are so good at taking care of yourself and at times, like, just doing what it might look like doing nothing. But I think you're actually a lot of that time doing the most important work is resting and nourishing you. Could you tell us a little bit about what are the beliefs that are behind that? Because I think a lot of people find that very difficult to do when we're taught that hard work equals success. Totally. Okay. So for what it's worth, I don't feel good at it. I feel really, really bad at it because wow. I still feel, I feel, hor- I don't, I feel like it's probably like not an area of strength for me at all. Okay. And I think that's because, I mean, even though there's no routine of it, there is a large chunk of my life where I am, I don't know, taking videos and pictures and stuff that are going to go on stories, uh, sitting down to write the email or the social media post, speaking to my team about the plan around a book or a launch or whatever, even though we do the same thing every time, you know, whatever communication that is, I feel like a chunk of my day still really goes to all of that, though it's a different time every day. It happens every day. And then I f- the thing I probably need to work on the most in my life is that I put me last. I do my stuff after. Like, I think my biggest goal right now might be to take the walk, take the bath, do the stuff that brings me a lot of joy before I do the work stuff. Because I always choose the work stuff first and then find myself only having 30 minutes before I have to be at a workout class or a place or Mm. a commitment of some kind. So I tend to put the stuff that brings me the most like rest last and then trying to squish it in. And I think, yes, there is rest in my life way more than there's ever been before. But I think I will feel much better if I could shift that because I've obviously already proven to myself over a decade that I will work. I will focus. I will hustle, even though I don't really use that word. I will do whatever I need to do to get stuff done. Like I'll always get my stuff done. But I think the reversal of always putting myself last is proving to not work Mm. as I'm in this relationship with like children and like wanting to have a baby. And it's like, if I can't switch some of this, I'm going to put family and work before me. And that's not going to work, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. You wrote a book recently. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I wrote a book. Yeah. Another thing that you fit in, because I'm imagining that, all these things that you're doing, right, and family and all the things, and you fit, you managed to fit a book in there, and the book is extraordinary, so much so that I've just Thank ordered you. a whole box of them so I can give them out. Like She know. ordered 56, 56 books, right? She yeah, ordered two crates. I love it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for your purchase. Um, I just want to be able to hand them to people. I think there's three books that everybody should read. I think mine, yours, and another one called Flowers and Honey by Julie Tenner, who's a client of mine, who her book is extraordinary about love and desire. So I'm going to hand those three books to just about everybody I ever met. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. I love it so Um, much. uh, I think a lot of people would love to write a book. I think you did it in an extraordinary way. Could you quickly tell us about how you wrote the book and why it's such an important book? Okay, so the cool thing I did was 
stop conversations with like a big five book publisher the at the first instance that they undervalued me you know the <laughs> first moment a number was thrown around that was shockingly disgustingly low to me okay. I just explained to them how much money I could make on my own and I said it something like this I was like listen my audience would pay me to write this book I'm gonna have them pay either monthly or bi-weekly to get the chapters as they're released. So a group of people called my book club got the chapters as they release. And then the super fan club got the chapters as they were released. And they also got a couple of live streams with me mm-hmm. about the book writing process. And I was like, listen, I suspect I can make six figures alone. When my audience pays me to write the book, I can get it. I can get about this many people to sign up and running numbers. I think I can make about this much money per month with the book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And we're making more than that on Amazon right now. So like we made like 30,000 on Amazon the first month, you know, which is pretty good. Yeah. And already like 15,000 the first two weeks of the second month. I, people never like authors don't talk about this. I'm just going to talk about it. Yeah. The women I know who went with this company had like got like $20,000 book deals, like stupid low. Mm-hmm. I know one woman who got like a $100,000 book deal with this person, but she had to give them two books. One book was already making 10000 a month on Amazon. So she gave up a stream of income to go with a traditional publisher. And I'm not saying I won't let a traditional publisher pick this up in the future, but I feel like I kind of won life mm. when I got paid to write it from the people who wanted to read it as it was written. I'm paid monthly right now as it sells on the internet through Amazon and through Ingram. And then if I let someone buy it from me later, I'll get paid again, except they'll have to pay me way more than they were trying to pay me the first time. So yeah. I just think I, I won, I won self-publishing. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, okay. I, what else? Thing, I, I, um, I self-published my book and then a traditional publisher picked it up because it's like, I didn't have anything to prove. It's like, Hey, look, people like the book. Now let's talk, you know, it's a totally different experience. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's amazing. So I'm open to that and we'll just see how it goes, but I'm happy to just that I'm happy that Amanda Francis Inc. owns the right to the book and I own Amanda Francis Inc. Like it's just working out for me. But okay, the book is called Rich as Fuck, More Money Than You Know What to Do With. And it's about being rich as fuck and having more money than you know what to do with. And it's basically, it's kind of my journey. Like someone called it a memoir the other day and I was like, oh, it kind of is. Like it talks about how I grew up, what I was taught about money what I believed, what that created, when I decided to just started to disprove it and see things differently, how things shifted from, you know, six figures to multiple six figures to millionaire to multimillionaire, how what I know about money and how money actually works, how that affects spending, how it can eliminate debt, how it I've used it to buy properties. I mean, kind of the whole thing. There's a chapter on many beliefs inside business, but it's not a business book. It's really definitely a money book. What I don't know. You've read it. What else would you say about it? Uh, it's it's one of those ones where get get the ebook version, but also get the paper version because you're going to want to mark pages, but you're also going to want to screenshot parts and put it on your Insta stories. So get both. And it's just one of those ones that you're probably going to want to read a whole bunch of times and just absorb it over and over. So it's, I think it's very potent energetically, right? Like it's, it's the money, like the, the money codes, the way of seeing and thinking and believing about money are like in the book, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of moments of like, Oh yes. Oh my God. Everyone needs to know this. You know, like when people like, why aren't we taught this in high school? It's like, the majority of people, I remember, I think 
I don't know where it was that you said it, but someone said, why doesn't, if it's this simple, like talking about manifestation, all that, if it's this simple, why isn't everyone doing it? And I think you said, because not everybody knows. That's literally <laughs> it. Gets yeah. it, right? So like read this book yeah. and then you'll know. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's been my true to life observation is like, when people find out and start playing with it at whatever level, whether they ever call it manifestation or not, whether it's introduced to them through some kind of corporate motivational series or the secret or, or like, you know, cause there's so, the Bible, there's every fucking religious book has been talking about trying to tell us how to create our lives, you know, and with these similar principles. And it's like, I, I got it. And then I applied it to money, like really, really, really well is yeah. kind of what I think happened you know, seriously at genius level. Thank you so much. I'm going to drop links, of course, of where to find you, but the book is on Amazon, wherever you are in the world, you'll be able to get it. And um, yeah. And Barnes and Noble and several others. Yeah. You'll find it on the interwebs if you search. Yes. Awesome. And also search Amanda Francis just about anywhere on the internet and they'll find you as well. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, love. (laughs) It was a good time with you. Thank you so much. And I will see you soon. See you soon. Thank you, love. Bye.